Hi, it's Jason from Reading Radio. Just want to take a second to apologize. We mentioned in this episode that we'd gone through and recorded this thing three times, and even on the third time, audio was just dropping. Like, there wasn't enough memory on the computer, and it just didn't record things and skipped right over things we said. So I edited it out as best I could. This is not our normal quality, and I hope you will not hold it against us. But here is our episode on Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. Hi, welcome to the Reading Radio Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Laura. Thank you all who are coming in, listening for the first time today. We really appreciate it. Thank the person who invited you. Let them know that you're so thankful they brought you into this organization. Not an organization, this group of <laughs> friends and fellow readers. Sorry this was not posted on the first like we normally do. We were at Camp Hebron in Pennsylvania, which was a lot of fun. And there's tons of different activities. We're going to go again next year, Family Camp 5. So if you're interested in going, when you sign up, use the name Jason Fisher, and we will both get $100 off. Yes, $100 off camp. It's a great, great experience. I mean, before that, we probably could have recorded, but Alora was gone before that on two weeks of Girl Scout camp, biking across the Allegheny Passage. Tell us a little bit about that. Was that awesome? It was a lot of fun. We did 73 miles in five days, but the weather was horrible. It was raining over half the time we were gone, and my counselor's tent got flooded twice. <laughs> Sorry to be your counselor, I guess. <laughs> but, I, and, but I heard you had Ender's Game with you, and you were passing it around the group because you guys were out of books, or you only had a limited number yeah. of books? because we only had so much space to pack books, so everyone would pack an amount, and once they were done with it, they're like, who wants it? And then you'd trade books. As far as I know, everyone went back home with their same books. I did, at least. Well, I hope so, because that was a library book <laughs> you were using. We didn't want to pass that one around too much. So if you're from the uh, Girl Scout Adventure Trek, listening to us for the first time, glad to have you. Hope uh, hope to hear a little bit about what's going on. If you're on Facebook, go over to reading Radio. Dot com, you'll see a link for our Facebook private group where we have discussions about the books, what we should read, what we did read, and what we think about them. We'd love to hear what you have to say. We're going to go ahead and talk about Ender's Game from a spoiler-free perspective for now. Won't last long because those spoiler-free perspectives are boring. <laughs> we really want to get into the meat of the matter. Alora, tell us, tell us a broad summary of Ender's Game. What's it about? It is about a boy named Ender. That's perfect. <laughs> And um, he gets sent off to battle school because Earth needs a commander before the buggers come back. And the buggers are an alien race. Species, yeah. Yeah, of some kind. But you, don't, you just know about that. So it's his adventure through battle school and the result of the war later, which would be spoiler territory. We'll leave it at that for now. Mm-hmm. Does that sound good? Yeah. We Age level. I was a little concerned about this. It wasn't what I remembered it. Orson's Got Card is a fairly... Um, devout Mormon from the interviews we read with him. We actually listened to the 20th anniversary version of the audiobook and had an interview with Orson Scott Card at the end. And one of the things he said was, I didn't want kids learning bad words from me, especially his own kids. Though the language in this, I think, is still as a parent a little rough around the edges, but it's typical boy bathroom, teenage insulting kind of stuff. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. No real bad words, but a few anatomical references and other things like that overall though i'd say what 12 was 13 years probably a good age yeah. for this but you're more mature than that so you're good <laughs> is that right 
Right, so if you're concerned about the age requirements on, on Ender's Game, as my judgment as a pretty lenient parent is probably 13. Alora says 13 or 14. Yes. Is that what you said I as think well? content-wise it is okay for younger. I just have trouble understanding it. Yeah, you actually did have... We started to read this before and you had a little trouble. Tell us yes. about that. So the way it was written and the way it would switch who was narrating it without names attached at all, it was quite confusing. So we tried to do it for a podcast episode previously between Bridge to Terabithia and Cursed Child. Which is our earliest podcast. Yes. So did it help to listen to it when the voices actually changed? Because yes. they, they did kind of a dramatic reading. That made a little more sense that you knew it wasn't Ender anymore. You knew it was some other character. Mm-hmm. Overall, do you like the book? Yes. But you're out of five stars rating. Five being everybody in the world should read this book. It's amazing. And one being uh, they wasted a lot of paper. <laughs> I'd say a four. Okay. We're allowed halves. Are you going half or just four? Just four. I'm a little disappointed. I'm probably going to go four and a half. This book... For, is pro, is in my top 10. I've never actually written out a top 10, and I hesitate to say top 5, because those are all reserved for C.S. Lewis books. Ding! If you're playing bingo at home, we've just made our mandatory C.S. Lewis reference for this podcast. Uh, but but it's, definitely my, it's definitely my top 10. I've read it three times now, and enjoyed it every time. Okay, we are now heading into the spoiler zone. So if you have not read Ender's Game... And you care about being spoiled, please turn this podcast off now. Go read Ender's Game. You can find links to it in Amazon on our website, reading-radio.com. And come back after you've read it so you won't be spoiled. Break open the spoiler zone, Alora. What do you want to talk about? You sounded like a weird serial person. That was my goal. I want to talk about Valentine. Valentine. Okay, why Valentine? Valentine? Because she's a good character. Is it because she's female? Are you sexist in that way? Dad! <laughs> what? There, it's, it's a fair point, because there's only two female characters yeah. in this whole book. Valentine and Petra. Mm-hmm. So is it fair that you're attracted to that character because she's female? And you, you a little bit. empathize with her a little bit. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that's nothing wrong with that. Most teenage boys read this book wishing they were Ender. It's not as easy for girls. That's why we want more female protagonists in books, so that you can... You know, have more girls reading sci-fi because nerd girls are awesome. Yay. Why do you like Valentine? Um, I like the way she is a mediator between Ender and Peter Okay. at some points. Sure. And I like the way she is, I'm not going to remember the name, but... <laughs> I really like the way she portrays the character Demosthenes. Yeah, it's so hard to say, even when you look at it and read it. It's yeah. hard. Um, later in the book, her and Peter go together to get in with the higher-up people to take over the world, pretty much. And they each take on their own characters in the internet. Peter is Locke, and Valentine is Demosthenes. Okay. Do you know anything about those two characters? Nope. People. I mean, Locke is John Locke, I'm assuming. He's actually very libertarian in his mindset. I don't know much about Demosthenes, and I probably should have looked it up before we got here. I meant to, but since we were running behind, I didn't. So I'm going to kind of leave it alone. We can talk about that later. So you like the fact that they, they still had a, something running with Peter and Valentine? Yes. Yeah. What did you think about the way Graf used Valentine against or for Ender? First of all, do you think it was 
good that she was able to communicate to Ender at least that one time at battle school. I think the only reason they... I think it's good that Ender had the opportunity to communicate with her, but I think the reason why they let her do it is wrong. Sure, it was their own... I mean, to fulfill their own goals, absolutely. Everything in but, this book is to fill, to fulfill their own goals, though. Yeah. And so, let's come back to that. Ender was broken at that point. Yeah. He needed somebody, and, only, and they felt that only Valentine could encourage him. So, do you think that's accurate? Yes. Okay. Now, ethically... The way they treat these kids at battle school, what do you think about that? It's horrible. Okay, why? I mean, because they lie to them, stop any mail from family, any communications blocked off, and especially the way they treat Ender, as soon as he gets a group of friends, they move him. As soon as he gets higher up in a position, they move him. They do not let him have a stable friendship at all throughout the book. Okay. Now the question, the question to this is: Does the ends justify the means? We're talking about the salvation of the entire human race. The only way that they're going to survive the bugger war is for this one person to rise up, and they believe Ender's that person. Assuming that he is, is it justified to treat him that way in order to bring out of him what they need brought out of him? Possibly, but they're lying about the ends. They are. That's true. The buggers were never coming to attack. That's true. So, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. I gotta think about this for a second. Hold on. So Ender's not the kind of person that would go and do the thing that they wanted him to do had he known all along. They manipulated him, to your point, all the way through. But they had to because he would not have outright attacked the buggers. But in the end, that's what they made him do. Right. And so when it, you, it kind of, if you go back and look at his history with Stilson, he had that, I'm going to win definitively so I don't have to fight this battle again. He did it with Bonzo, and then he did it, he did it with the buggers, although he thought it was a game and yes. didn't have the... If he had known that he was actually wiping out an entire civilization, would he have done it? No. Okay. I don't think he would have. I don't think he explicitly said that before he found the egg. At the end. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think he did. had he known, he wouldn't have been able to bring himself to be the killer. Because he, he never wanted to be that killer. I don't... I think that if he would have known that the simulations were real, he would have given them chances to surrender and opportunities for them to work out some peace treaty but they couldn't communicate that was the problem there's even a quote this whole war is because we can't talk to each other so they how do you work out a peace treaty with people when you can't communicate with them because the buggers have that mental link they're a hive mind they don't understand the idea that we're not how could they possibly talk to us the same way they ended up talking to ender in the end maybe but that was only ender they were able to talk to so could he have could he have negotiated that peace for both species and to a satisfactory end? Or are human beings just bloodthirsty killers that would have wanted to destroy them anyway? I think he may have been able to do it. If given the opportunity, I think he would have been able to make a fair treaty between both species. Maybe if we read Speaker of the Dead and the rest of the Ender series, we might find out some more about that. Mm -hmm. That's something I've always wanted to go back and do. So maybe we'll do it for a show. Maybe I'll just read it on my own time. See how that works out. 
Um, going back to Val and Peter, though, Val's able to persuade people, and Peter it usually works through fear. What are the strengths, pros, and cons of, of both of those ways of doing things? I think that working with people the way Valentine does, communicating with them on their level, and understanding their concepts, and understanding both sides of the arguments is a better way to do it than fear, because fear can only get you so far. Okay, but which one's more effective? Depends on the people okay. and the situation. I think most people, short-term, fear is more effective. Um, it's it's the way politics has pretty much been run since there's been politics. You create fear of the other person and vote for me and I will save you kind of things, as opposed to most people don't have the time or desire to think about the persuasive points of argument built upon argument built upon argument. We just don't have time for that. We, I want a quick, short answer and, a, and a, something I think on a bumper sticker and I'll vote for you. So there's, I think that's why they had to work from both sides. They had to work in a long-term strategy. That's why they said Demosthenes was more respected early on and Locke wasn't. And so they could build through that and then Locke would eventually come around and swoop in and ultimately Peter was able to take over the world Pretty much. And the universe to some degree because humans are the only ones we know that are left when they start colonizing. And he was able to be in charge of everything from then on out. Yeah. Uh, there's a quote on page, at least on our version, page 286, that influence is power. Is that true or false? Or what do you think about I that think, statement? I think the people you influence can give you power. So depending on who you're influential with depends on how much power you are you get because of that influence yeah that's pretty true have you ever heard of the term a kingmaker no uh, so in, a, in places where kings might change often um, the king is somebody who, the only way the king is replaced is by being killed and so it's better to be the king maker than it is the king the king maker is the one who has power but it's kind of behind the scenes pulling the strings, if you will, making making things happen. The puppeteer. The puppeteer. They have all the influence. They may not have the title, but they actually do have the power because they're controlling things behind the scenes. And that's why I think that's important. Even mm -hmm. from a non-evil perspective, <laughs> if you want to be able to have power in like a job, you have to be able to have influence. And influence is leadership. Um, I had a boss tell me once that you know, true leadership is the ability to get things done through people who don't report to you. I can't fire you, but because I, I've done something for you or you know that I care about you, you know that I'm doing the right thing and I can influence you to do what I want you to do. Not in a manipulative way, but just like, I need this done. Can you help me out? That's power. And it shows you leadership skills if you're able to draw people together when you can't threaten them. And I think that's why influence in this case is so, is so important. Mm -hmm. There's... There's another quote. We don't have what page it is because we're listening to this in audiobook. You cannot wear an identity without becoming what you pretend to be. We're talking about Valentine. Yes. Yep. Because she's starting to think more like Demosthenes. So what do you think about that? I think that's true in a lot of ways. You, you kind of become the people you surround yourself with. And normally if you're pretending to be somebody, you're surrounding yourself by – with. You're surrounding yourself with people who are the same way. And I think that's that can kind of point in that direction. If you're pretending to be somebody over and over and over again, 
and to a really deep degree you can become that person you know there's a whole field of acting called method acting where you you really become the person that you're portraying so jim carrey is pretty famous for this he portrayed a guy named andy kaufman and nobody was allowed to call him jim he was andy and the whole time he was on set even sometimes offset Heath Ledger, they, some people speculate that's kind of why he went crazy because he played the Joker and he played him and he got into the character so much that he kind of went a little crazy. People said he was acting weird, that sort of thing. I, I don't know if it's true to that degree, but I think if you're constantly pretending to be something that you're not, you'll eventually become that thing. And that makes sense. Which is why you should never pretend to be anything but yourself. That way you don't have to worry about becoming something that you're not. What do you think about the statement, Ezra never loses, but he is sometimes defeated? Why is this not a contradiction? It feels like a question around the, the short term or the long term. In the short term, he doesn't lose. He doesn't lose the games. He doesn't lose the battle. But ultimately, he's defeated because he's manipulated in doing something that, he, that is not within his character. He wasn't the killer they needed him to be, so they had to trick him into being that killer. And I think with him becoming the Speaker of the Dead and becoming the voice of the buggers, ultimately he's trying to redeem himself from that defeat. So they crushed him and crushed him and crushed him and crushed him and ground him down and ground him down until finally he was defeated, although he never really lost a battle. Is that, is that fair, a yeah, fair summary? Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so sometimes we talk scene by scene through the book, but since we're assuming people have already read it at this point, we're not mm-hmm. going to do that. But tell me about your favorite scene in the book. My favorite scene would probably be when they're training with Petra. When what, what about... Ender's training with Petra or when he's training with the his other launchies. Oh, so when he's doing his own courses? Mm-hmm. Why is that big? Why is that important to you? That's important because it shows that even without being granted permission to do that, he goes and he it shows how much he cares about the other kids. What about you? What's your favorite scene? I think the scene that sticks out to me the most, although favorite might be a, a bit of a weird word, is the fight with Stilson. Being bullied as a kid, scrawny kid, big mouth, got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, I've been in situations where I kind of was surrounded and where, you know, kind of being pushed from kid to kid and then somebody would kneel down, they'd knock you down and... One or two times, I tried to do what Ender did and didn't do it successfully. You know, they push me over, I come back up swinging and try to take out the kid closest to us. And when I was in martial arts, when I was older, you know, we kind of did things from a practical perspective. And one of the things they said was, you take out the guy with the biggest mouth. You do what you have to do. And if you're surrounded, if you're going to fight more than one person, back up. Because you don't want somebody grabbing you from behind, that sort of thing. I don't want to be a violent person, so obviously away from that sort of mindset... But that's always stuck out to me is and Ender was able to think ahead to go, if I don't end this now, it will not end. And if you didn't take them out now, they would get in when there was more than one. Yeah. There's more than one of them and that sort of thing. So that's that scene's kind of stuck out to me. Okay, let's talk about the big surprise. We get to the end of the book, and Ender finds out that the game he's been playing at Command School hasn't actually been a game, but has been the actual battles all along. Did you realize that before it was revealed in the narration? No, I did not realize that. Yeah, that caught me completely off guard, I think. It's been a while since I've read it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but there was I had some suspicions that things were going on, but I wasn't sure that, 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 that that's what was happening, if this was still a test. Because they, they constantly said that they were waiting for the invasion, not that they were going to them. Yeah, I think that was all part of the plan, though. Uh, obviously. 
they wanted you to be just as clueless as Ender, and that's the only way he would have gone about it. So let's talk about the post-battle scenes. Mm-hmm. Valentine comes to Ender and asks him to go out and colonize the world. He does. Things are going great. They, they're they aging much more slowly than Peter, so he's going to die sooner, which probably makes them happy, even though they seem to have reconciled in some way. And Ender finds the scene of the giant playground there, where the buggers have, tri- have, have now tried to communicate with him and do, like, me- they get him in his mental link. What does that whole concept mean? That they're trying to go for repentance. They're asking for forgiveness and to have a place where they can repopulate and grow. And so Ender finds that egg. What's going to happen with that? I mean, it doesn't answer it in this. What do you think that means? Well, it did say he took it with him from planet to planet, looking for a place to recolonize. And I think he is going to find a place. Yeah, I think he's, he would have to. What does that mean for them to be around? I mean, he puts out the speaker for the dead book. And obviously there's groups of people who agree that, okay, we could forgive them. They didn't understand. We didn't understand. There's still a whole species of humans out there that may not feel that way. And it could just lead to more war So and lead to more death. So is he doing the right thing? I think so. If he goes out and puts them on a planet and like asks them to stay there and explains why and doesn't tell anyone they're there, just lets them live on their own. I think then that's the right thing. But if he goes back and tells people, I think what you said is going to happen. People are going to be against it and try to come out and attack. Okay. I guess we'll have to read some of the future books to find out. You want to be an author. You like to write. You read the interview or listen to the interview with Orson Scott Card at the end. Anything there stand out to you as to what it means to be a writer? Just how many times he was turned down and how this story idea was just in the back of his mind before he finally developed it yeah. into a novel. What little what little ideas do you have in your head that you think might eventually grow into something big? I don't know. There's a lot of them. There's a lot? We've recorded this like 15 times now, and I forget. Did we do the scores on this recording or the other one that we had? We haven't done scores yet. Okay, great. If we did and you've already heard this, I apologize, but we've lost two sets of recordings. We're doing this for a third time, and we have the air conditioning turned off because we don't want background noise, and it's getting hot down here. So, <laughs> overall... Haves are allowed. Five being greatest book ever written. Everybody should be should read this book. One being why did they waste the paper on that? What do you give Ender's Game? Four. And a half? Four. Just four. Okay, fine. I'm going to go four and a half because I think this book is awesome. Like I said, I've read it three times now. Um, and I'm going to... I'm probably going to read it again before my life is over. If not the, you know, the rest of the series as well. A good book deserves to be read every ten years. Mandatory C.S. Lewis quote. Yes. I okay. think it might be the second I one for this is. podcast. I, I can't remember what we said and what we didn't on this podcast, so we'll uh. apologize for that. Uh, oh, you know what we didn't ask? Is Peter really a psycho? Or is it just Ender's point of view? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Because he does go out there torturing squirrels. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And, and he does end up taking over the world, so he has some sort of narcissistic sociopath <laughs> complex built up there. Okay, well, I think that's all we have to cover, as always. This is the Reading Radio Podcast. Check us out at reading-radio.com. There you can find links to all the books we're going to be doing in the future. You can find links to our Facebook fan page, to our Instagram account, all that good stuff. The next book we are going to be doing is Oddity by Sarah Cannon. Yes. Sarah, if you're listening to this, we know we talked to you somewhere on Facebook and we talked about doing an interview. We'd still love to do that. We just have to figure out the technical side of it. Uh, By Sarah Cannon. And head over to the 
Facebook group and give us some more books. We, we're running, running low on our list and need that thing filled back up so we can know what books we should be reading. We're looking for both classics and new books so we can get a little bit of both. I'm Alora. And I'm Jason. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye, all.